everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Dribble Podcast. My name is Craig O'Donoghue from the West Australian Newspaper, taking you through another season of talking to guests from the Perth Wildcats, Perth Lynx, and WA Basketball in general to give you the best insight possible into what's happening in the sport throughout this state. In this week's episode, we have the pleasure of being joined by the superstar that is Bryce Cotton to discuss yet another record he is setting this season. It's a unique week in Perth with the Wildcats having to play on Tuesday night against New Zealand after that game in December was postponed due to COVID. We usually record on a Tuesday, but this interview is being done on Monday so Bryce can prepare for the breakers appropriately. We will still be uploading it on Wednesday, so you're listening to it on Wednesday now, uh, which means that we're recording before that game has been played and you're listening after that game has been played. So there'll be no references throughout this podcast to the game on Tuesday night against New Zealand. You talk about the cotton comparisons. You think of guys like Allen Iverson, Rip Hamilton, play minutes and never seem to get tired. Marquette's got to get it inbound. And they do. Thomas, Cotton tries to tie him up, but he does. And Providence has the arrow. Here we go. Eight seconds to go. Cotton, foul! I mean, Two free throws coming up! Our Land Rover player of the game, that guy right there, he played every second of this game, Bryce Cotton. His free throws gave Providence the go-ahead points after his huge play defensively to tie up Jake Thomas and force the jump ball. One of the best in the nation, one of the best in the Big East, Bryce Cotton on senior night, 25 points, 7 rebounds, and 9 assists. Now, there isn't much Bryce Cotton hasn't done in the NBL. Three championships, three MVP awards, two grand final MVP awards, but he's quietly creating other records at the moment, and I'm happy to say he's on the line for a chat about it. Bryce, welcome to the Dribble Podcast. How you doing, man? Thanks for having me. Going beautifully, and so are you. So today we're talking fitness, because that's something you excel at. At the moment, you're averaging 36 minutes and 12 seconds per game on court. That is the highest by any player in the 40-minute era. What's the secret to your fitness? How do you manage to play for so long when others don't? Um, I mean, I would say I just do a pretty good job of preparing myself every offseason. Um, I've probably had a very similar uh, workout routine probably the last six or seven years so I just stay consistent with that and um, keep my body around the same figure so nothing's really a shock to my body and it just feels like you know the same thing different year as far as my body's concerned so I'm trying to stay with that regime. So John really mentioned after the game against Sydney that the team looked tired after five games on the road. You played for 32 minutes more than anyone else in the team during those games. So it's, you've effectively played an extra match. Do you pull up well from these sorts of games or do you feel sore at the end of them? Um, I mean, I would say it's a combination of both. Like, I pull up well in the sense that I feel I recover fairly quickly. But, I mean, it's natural as well to be sore after an intense game, um, especially, you know, being targeted every single night, uh, that might take a toll. But, yeah, I'm, my body, fortunately, has been very, very quick to recover after every game. So you and I spoke about 2019, 2020, just before the pandemic, and, and you mentioned that, that you used to go back to your hometown, uh, back in America, every off-season, and do some crazy sorts of, of workouts with a mate of yours, Jamal Rhodes. And then you suddenly couldn't get back there for a couple of years. So what did you do while you were in Australia trying to replicate what you used to do in the off-season when you couldn't leave the country? Well, I would say the one off-season where I had to undergo 
surgery on my quad, that was probably the biggest adjustment because instead of, you know, working out like how I'm accustomed to, it was just trying to get my leg back right and um, just, yeah, trying to focus on having, making sure my leg had like a 90 degree bend. But other than that, I, I was able to keep my workouts pretty similar um, the other off seasons where I was stuck out here. But that was probably the biggest hiccup, uh, I would say, when I had to undergo surgery. But I've done my workouts basically religiously for so long. Um, it doesn't matter where I'm at. I can remember it by heart. Like, I don't have to look at a piece of paper or anything like that. So how brutal is it? Take us through. At, at, I know you've got some secrets you probably wouldn't want to give, give away. But what, what sort of stuff do you do to get to this elite level of fitness? Ah, I got to tell you that once I finally hang them up, I can't, can't give away any of my secrets right now, but, um, I just, I would say I really pride myself on conditioning though, because, um, I know how, how many minutes I play every season and how hard I have to work to score baskets. So I think as long as my conditioning is there, that's where I pride myself on, you know, in the third quarter or the fourth quarter when the game is tight, um, I'm trying to prepare my body to make sure I have that little extra win where my legs or my shots are, uh, they're not falling short and they feel just as good as um, they did to start the game. So this is a really interesting thing I find about you. You, you. This isn't new to you from an NBL perspective. You were doing this at Providence when you are at college as well. You averaged more minutes as a college player in your final season than any other player in America. And there was a patch of 13 games across 56 games where you didn't spend a second on the bench. It culminated with a game against Marquette, double overtime, 50 minutes Bryce spent on the, on the court, and the dying seconds forced a turnover that got the ball back, then he got fouled, then he made the free throws and they won the game. Uh, that You'd recall that one, I imagine that would be a fun memory. I do recall it. Um, I guess a fun fact about that season is it bothers me that I played 39.9 minutes a game instead of 40, and because of the double overtimes, I was actually averaging at one point like 40.5 minutes a game. And the only reason it went down was because I I took a nasty fall the first game of the Big East tournament and I sat out for like two minutes and then came back in. But that was the only reason it didn't stay at 40. And that still kind of bothers me to this day uh, whenever somebody mentions, mentions it to me. There was actually a, a, about, a, a tw- I think it was a 25-game period where you averaged 41.1 minutes per game because there was a yeah. two, two double overtimes and, and a single overtime during that, that period. So somehow you're on court for more than the 40 minutes that the games are. It's quite amazing. Like you, you, You've always said to me that you're, you were a massive Allen Iverson fan. He, he was known for you know being similar, just hardworking, fit, on court all the time. You would have been a teenager and a young bloke watching him growing up. Was that the sort of thing that, that made you want to be this type of player? 100%. Um I watched so much Allen Iverson, especially my last uh, two years of college. Uh, I watched a lot of Georgetown Iverson and all that. And considering he's literally the same height and the same exact weight as I as I am, I figured, you know, there was so much I could take from his game because, you know, when you and another player have the same build, um, whatever's working for them, you'd like to think there's a couple things that you could steal from him as well. But, um, yeah, I've definitely learned a lot by uh, watching Iverson, just his relentlessness um, night in, night night out, and his ability to play through uh, whatever. So you come to Australia and you've got Trevor Gleeson first, then into Scott Morrison, now into John Reilly. How does the conversation go where you say, Coach, 
I'm staying on court. Don't, trust me, I'm fit enough. Just don't put me on the bench ever. <laughs> um, it's. I think it's a mutual trust thing, you know, where sometimes they might just ask a question like, are you feeling any good? Do you need a sub? And if I say I don't, you know, the trust is there. In the same way, if I am feeling tired and I do ask for a sub, you know, I trust that they'll get me back as, as soon as I say I'm ready to go. So um, that's the best way I could describe it. But um, I try to make sure I never put myself in that position to where I'm tired enough and, and feel like I need a sub. So how do you do that without t- – everyone else says you can't take a possession off. Do you find ways to, to regroup on court during the game or is while the game's going, or do you need to just get as much air back into your lungs as you can when a foul's called or when there's a timeout or when there's any stoppage at all? Yeah, I, I, would, I would like to think I don't really try to take plays off, but I, I'm really big on my breathing, like you said, during timeouts or if it's an out-of-bounds or a foul call. I try to control and slow down my breathing there where I can really get a little bit of wind back. So um, I think I saw something a few few years back about some player and how they focus their breathing and it helps their uh, cardio or whatever. So I've been kind of stealing that the last few years and it's actually been working out for me pretty good. Now, sports science is such a massive part of sport these days and everyone wears a GPS, it seems, in every single sport. Do you know how far you run in a game? Uh, I don't, and I probably don't want to know because <laughs> uh, it'll probably make me more tired if I realize how much running around I'm actually doing. Do you go into practice sessions wanting to destroy yourself basically as, as much as you can from a fatigue point of view so that you'll never be as fatigued in, in a game and just you know never come off court for a rest at any point during that session as well? Um, I would say it's more so predicated in my preseason um, and all season workouts. And then when training camp first starts uh, with NBL, that's when I'm really, really trying to be in the best shape I could possibly be. Um, but once the season hits, I feel it's more about maintaining whatever you've built during the off season. If you're trying to, I guess, get better uh, with your cardio by burning yourself out every practice, but you have games the same week. Uh, that could be a slippery slope. So it might work for some people, but I try to stay away from that. So without, you're obviously not going to give away too many of these little secrets you've got, but is it just, are you, are you an on-court fitness person or well, should we be looking for you running around you know, Perth streets or swimming at pools or going up hills on a bike? Like, Are you just the one type of fitness or do you have all these different cross sections of training which you might be doing to, to, to add to the, uh, the fitness you need? When COVID went down at first and basically the whole world went on pause, I was uh, running and and riding bikes, but primarily I'm more on the court person. Like if everything's in a normal setting, all my regime is is on the court. So were you good at track? We call it athletics, but you guys call it track when you're uh, in America. So when you were at school, were you you a track runner? Um, I only did track one year. I did track probably like eighth grade. I did... I did very well, but I just I never uh, I never continued. I used to run the four hundred. I uh, won won the city championship, but uh, yeah, I just I stopped doing it after that. Do you remember how fast you were at four hundred when you were a young tacker? I don't remember, but you know I will say proudly I never lost a four hundred race, a four hundred meter race. So um, me and my mom joke about that because she was like really really like into track when she played. So. 
Uh, that's my bragging rights with me and her. <laughs> and not surprised you're competitive even with your mum. So w- <laughs> w- when you look at it from an athletic point of view within the family, your uncle is a former NFL running back. Um, so th- there's a little, there's a fair bit of athleticism going around. Like who else within the family has got the overall athletic tendencies from a fitness point of view? I mean, honestly, I would say my whole family was, was athletic. Like uh, pretty much everybody played sports and, I'd like to think most of them were, were pretty decent um, when they played. So I would just say yeah, I'm very blessed to have some good family genes. And, um, you know, I don't rest on that, though. I still try to make sure I'm fine-tuning, you know, the athletic gifts that I have and just finding a way to get those one percenters just a tad bit better. Um, because if you can keep getting 1% better, I guess, over the years, it adds up by the time you're done playing. And you mentioned, so with those 1% is building up, you would have lost 10, 15, 20%, or maybe 50% when uh, you had that serious leg injury and, and leg surgery. So that must have been, you mentioned it before, but how, how brutal was it to get back into this sort of condition having been sitting on the couch for so long? Yeah, it was, it was very challenging, but um, it, was, it was something where I felt like, you know, it's sink or swim. Like either you're going to get through this or you're not. But um, I think the biggest thing that I feel fortunate about out of that whole situation is as serious as that surgery is, nobody has uttered a word about it, which, you know, I, I feel blessed that, you know, it's almost like people forgot I had that surgery to where it doesn't look like I've missed a step. So I'm very, very lucky that I had some good doctors to work on on me and have a great surgery. And then we put together a very, very good uh, rehab program. So. Uh, I'm just blessed that it, it didn't become a uh, roadblock for me. And that was a goal of yours, wasn't it? You didn't want anyone to be talking about it. You wanted people just to forget that it happened that you to be, and you to be able to get back to the, the you that you were without people even realizing that it had happened six, eight months before. 100%. That was, that was at the forefront of my mind. And um, I guess that was, that was something that kind of kept me focused on staying patient throughout the journey of, getting that rehab process complete because it was it was definitely frustrating at times but you know we got there at the end and as i mentioned you had these big workouts pre-covid back in the u.s you got back to the u.s this offseason for for the first time in a long time so was it all back to normal we hanging out with the same blokes and doing the same routines in in the offseason to build yourself up for this season as you had done for so long that's right it was back like i never left um it was so good to get home though not only from you know a workout standpoint but being able to see my family and, you know, some of my close friends, like that was amazing. Um, but to get back to in the gym with that normalcy as well. And it was, yeah, it was great. And it was very much needed on a physical and, and mental level. So are you when you go back home, are you working out in elite level facilities or are you one of those people who likes to go to a grungy sort of, you know, really earthy sort of feel where it's, it's back to feeling like a kid again in, in, a, in a lower level sort of, of court? What, what do you sort of work out with back, back, in, back in the States? I'm not too fussed. As long as it's a gym and I'm, I'm by myself pretty much, I'm good to go. But uh, I would say cons- by comparing to most other people's standards, I'm never in anything that's too elite. Uh, I like to stay in that, you know, that grind type environment. And it just kind of reminds me of when I was starting out, you know, dreaming of getting to all these different places that, you know, I've been able to get to. Puts me back in that, you know, that teenage mindset. And was it you and Jamal again or, or was it some different blokes, a couple of different blokes even there this time? That's right. Me and Jamal. That's 
that's my guy right there. So it's it's always good to see him, you know, the little snack talk we have with each other during the workouts and all that. It's uh it's great, you know what I mean? Like sometimes there might be grinds or, or lulls throughout the season where it's like, man, like I'd give anything to have Jamal right now just for a five minute, you know, trash talk full of banter and you know, he'll say something I I need to hear and then it's good to go. So when push comes to shove every now and again I might give him a call. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have that moment, and then it's it's like a nice little recharge. So is he older than you, or did you play together? How did, how did that relationship come about? He's older than me. So I met him, I think, my senior year of high school, and then uh, I didn't see him for a few years. But when I finished up playing with the Phoenix Suns, we crossed paths again. And then from there, we just uh, we started working out from then on forward and uh yeah we've been sticking with our same routine uh ever since so he's standing there abusing you the whole time you know keep running keep running keep running is that is that, is that the sort of key key sort of conversation with the sledging and the trash talk absolutely he's saying that and then you know if he starts sweating a little too much and he gets tired you know i might tease him saying he, he's getting he's getting tired from seeing what hard work looks like or something like that you know we we have some good back and forth uh, I definitely enjoy it. So mental strength is so important in sport. Is this where your mental strength comes to the fore, that you are able to, to say, I'm not tired, I can push through? Yeah. I, I think a lot of that comes from, like, growing up, I played at, at the parks and stuff like that. So playing one-on-one, 21, like king of the court, and, and always playing against guys older than me, you uh, you hear a lot of trash talk. And when you're younger as well, like, you got to be able to hold your own. So just having that, you know, your tough, I guess, type attitude on the floor, um, that just kind of carried over because I was always the smallest one on the floor, whether I was playing against guys that was my age or guys I was older. So that kind of helped me uh, sharpen that chip on my shoulder. And, and we've seen now the number of teams that say, we're going to rotate three blokes through Bryce. We're just going to bring someone on for a couple of minutes and then get someone else on and then get someone else on after that. So there's always fresh legs against you. Do you enjoy that challenge now? Do, or, uh, mentally, are you able to turn it into something d- different to what a lot of people would, which is, oh, my God, now I've got another fresh dude here? Yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, even, uh, I don't even look at it as like, okay, there's, there's another player that – you know, he's got fresh legs and now I got to deal with him. I don't, I don't look at it that way. Like the way I see it, every time I step out on that floor, I'm going to give it everything I got, no matter who's guarding me, no matter what team we're playing. And I just rest on the fact that I know how hard I've worked in the off season. So I trust that I'm built for whatever is going to come my way. Um, any season, uh, whether no matter what team I'm playing, what, no matter what player I'm playing, I trust the work I put in. Now, recovery is so key to sport. I was at the beach with my kids on Sunday and the shark spotting helicopter was flying up down the coast and my thoughts immediately turned to you because early in your time in Perth, you said to me, you will never, ever step in the water as long as that helicopter exists. Are you a beach recovery person yet or are you still someone who's going, there is no way known? So, you know what? I haven't completely backtracked on that statement. I'll be at the beach but, like, I might just be walking in the sand or something like that, or I might get uh, knee-deep in the water. So that's way more than I ever thought I would do. But um, I'm not going to get too crazy. Though. That's probably where I draw the line. There aren't too many sharks uh, back in Tucson, are there? Yeah, no, I haven't seen too many lately. <laughs> <laughs> now, you are so professional with the way you prepare. This, this is a unique 
uh, week four at the club with an open-air game on Saturday night. Will you change anything with your preparation to uh, be accustomed to, to the open-air style of, of having to shoot? Um, not, not really. Like, going into it, I'm not going to change anything. Um, I'm trying not to think of it as it's, like, as anything other than just another game because I don't want to psych myself out either. But, again, you know, like I said, I grew up playing at the parks and stuff like that, so... I'd like to think I'd be able to make an adjustment or two if I can, because from what I remember playing at Park, sometimes you'd have to adjust with the wind, but considering we're in a big old arena, I don't think I'm going to have that problem. Do you ever get down to a local park and shoot around Perth? Uh, no, uh, but when I drive by and sometimes like in the evening and I see how packed it is, it just kind of takes me back to you know my time in Tucson growing up, because that was, it was nothing like playing at the parks and the playgrounds where... If you lost the game, you know, you might not get back on for a couple of hours or whatever. But that's where that's where it all started for me, though, the playgrounds. And the current forecast for Saturday night is for 25-kilometer-an-hour winds at tip-off. Now, we will be inside RSC Arena, so hopefully that uh, wind doesn't get into the venue. Do you remember much about the, playing that game against Melbourne in the open air a few years back? Uh, it felt like that day there was a wind blowing because no one could shoot. Yeah, I feel like I loosely remember that. I'm trying not to think about it too much because, again, I don't want to psych myself out. But, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think any of us were making too many shots that day. You think the fans will enjoy the experience of, of, playing, of seeing a game played in the open air? I think most people are hoping that it becomes something that they can experience a hell of a lot. But do you think it's a, it's a really good part of what the NBL is doing? Yeah, definitely. You know, bringing all types of excitement and just – a new flavor, I guess, to the league. So it'll be cool, and, and hopefully it's going to be a fun, exciting game to watch as well. Uh, well, brilliant. Well, look, thank you so much for your time. You're always generous uh, whenever we speak, so it's fantastic to catch up and give people a different insight into you and, as I say, the fitness machine that you are. I think we could all wish we were as fit as you, and I'm sure we'll be seeing more <laughs> 38, 39, maybe 40-minute games from, the, from Bryce Cotton for a long time to come. So thanks for coming on the Dribble Podcast. All right. Thanks a lot, man. Take care. Now, Perth Lynx are up to 5-5 five and five after an extraordinary night against the Sydney Flames at the Bendat Basketball Centre. There have been some incredible performances there over the years by Lynx players. Sammy Whitcomb and Courtney Williams have both scored 41 points. But Lauren Scherf's 22 points in a single quarter had to be seen to be believed, and she has become a fair-income rock star this season. She's ranked third in the league for rebounds, fourth for assists, lead the league in blocks, and her 15.5 points per game has it only just outside the top 10 in that category as well. It's no wonder Lynx coach Ryan Petrick loves her so much. She's Nikola Jokic of the WNBL. I... Clearly speak with a bias, but she's the best big in the country right now. Well, we were desperate to get her two years ago, well, for a very specific reason, for this style of play. And like, it's the first time in her life she's not being anchored four feet from the rim. She can just do everything. You put a small on her, she can post them up. You put a big on her, she'll drag it out. She can really pass to someone that size. Like She's the modern-day unicorn almost. But she's 6'5". So there's other guards that can do that. But in that body shape, no. And I just, we talked before about the WNBA, like, that's the modern day big. 
And now Lauren Scherf gets to take on the league's other Lauren. That's right, Lauren Jackson is back in town on Friday night with the Southside Flyers. The last time Jackson was here, she had 25 points and 12 rebounds, while Scherf finished with 20 points and 12 rebounds of her own. But the Flyers won that game. So it'll be another huge battle. We all know that Jackson played a big part in Australia's World Cup campaign. We also know that Jackson announced during that tournament that it would be her last tournament in the green and gold. So an Opal's position is up for grabs at the moment. And what better way to make a statement than to play like the GOAT against the GOAT? So it'll be a very big game for Lauren Scherf this weekend. Keep an eye out for a feature story about Lauren in the West Australian and at the west.com.au later on this week. Uh, Scherf is having such a fantastic season. It'll be great to give you an insight into who she is and what has made her the player that she has become. It's a massive game for the Lynx. As I said, they're 5-5 five and five with 11 games remaining. Here's what Coach Ryan Petrick had to say about the importance of winning games against top four teams if there's any chance of rising from fifth spot. We need to we need to find three. We need to get the 12 wins. 12 wins, which should guarantee you finals. 11 will go close. Um, so, again, if you keep beating the bottom four teams, that's only nine wins. So we've got to find two or three against the top four. So Southside next week seems the most logical one to try and get right now. Well, that's it for this week's episode of the Dribble Podcast. Remember, you can read all of your basketball news in the West Australian newspaper and keep logging on to thewest.com.au. Thank you so much to Bryce Cotton for his time. Thank you to Samantha Rogers for her production work. We'll be back next week for another episode of the Dribble Podcast.